Welcome to the ColbyCast, episode 127. Thank you for joining us. Today, Kimberly Farley of the CLT joins Bonnie and I to discuss the process of preparing for life after Colby. Additionally, she provides some great advice on things to think about when considering taking college courses while still in high school. Also, if you have a student who will be signing up for the CLT, Kimberly will be providing a discount code for all Colby students, so listen carefully. We hope that you'll enjoy the show. Week's going well. We're everything's kind of chugging along now in the homeschooling world. Good, good, good. So true. It's now that the school year is off the ground, we can turn our attention to some long-range planning, which is familiar territory for you, right? Yes, definitely. That's we're already in from an administrative standpoint. We're it's like this. This year's already happened. We're, we're focused on the 2023-2024 school year now. So yeah. that just seems to be the way it is. Right. It'll be here before we know it. Yep. Well, the focus of our planning discussion today is college and university, a topic we've covered quite a lot on the Colby cast and for which we have a label called Life After Colby that we've applied to all our Colby cast episodes on the subject, including, by the way, options other than college. So to make use of this handy tool, visit colby.org slash podcast and scroll down to see all the filters we have available. There are several different ones on this topic, the topic we're discussing today and, and many others as well. And so that's kolbe.org slash podcast. If you select the Life After Colby filter, you'll see our conversation with Jeremy Tate, founder of the Classic Learning Test, CLT for short, episode 120, Substance Matters. Our guest today is Kimberly Farley, CLT's Director of Homeschool Partnerships, who combines her experience as a homeschooling mom with her professional background in occupational therapy to serve homeschooling families, especially in the areas of testing and college prep, among many others. Hello, Kimberly, and welcome to the Colby Cast. Hi, it's so great to be here with you. Thanks for inviting me. You're most welcome. I'm delighted to get to talk to you today. Have you always homeschooled your children? We did not start as a homeschooling family. Um, my husband in particular was always a supporter of the right to homeschool. You know, it said, oh, but, you know, we're going to use the school system that is right here. We, we pay a lot in property taxes. We're going to use that, that benefit. And so we did have our kids in school and just felt the Lord's calling on our lives to change that um, during it was our kids fifth, third and kindergarten years. And so the three kids were, were at that point in elementary school when it was just strongly laid on our hearts that we needed to do something different. And so it was in the spring of that year, did a lot of research, a lot of prayer, a lot of planning. And at the beginning of sixth, fourth, and we promoted my youngest up to second grade because that's where he was academically. He just had one of those birthdays that was right on the cusp. And so in sixth, fourth, and second grade, we started our home education journey, and we finished. Then um, last year, I graduated my youngest. And so we are we are now veteran homeschoolers, uh, still very much plugged into the homeschooling community. I actually 
um, coach and direct a speech and debate club in my area. And, you know, we just, we've had a beautiful time. My regret is that we didn't do it from day one, but thankful that the Lord opened our eyes when he did and brought us into this amazing world. I have a similar story where we started in parochial school and then made a change to homeschooling uh, midstream there when my eldest was going into seventh grade. So it's reassuring. I like I like when I hear other people like, you, you can do this. You can make decisions year to year. You can make the decision going forward. Just what you've been doing, you don't have to continue doing. So I'm so glad that it worked out as it has. So your your students are all finished homeschooling now and they have gone on to other things. What sorts of things have they gone on to? Yeah, um, all three of them chose to go to Christian liberal arts um, colleges that they, I think we did a little bit of an eclectic approach depending on which student it was because they all learned differently. We were very traditionally classical with my oldest, a little more Charlotte Mason with my with my younger two, uh, leaned a little more into classical again with my youngest. And so part of it was just meeting their needs and responding to their learning styles, but always an emphasis on literature, great books, great Socratic dialogue, you know, that, that kind of emphasis that we had and meeting their needs. So that was beautiful. When they went to choose colleges, they wanted a faith-based institution and they all valued that liberal arts education. Uh, my youngest in particular is a STEM kid through and through, like he's a computer science major, but for him even, it was like, I have to keep studying philosophy and literature and history. And, you know, all of these things are really important to who I want to be as a person, not just, you know, a, a professional in computer science, which is a little harder. I will say STEM and liberal arts education can be a little harder to come by great programs, but we found a great fit for him. And so all of mine have done that. My oldest is now in law school. And so he is at Columbia University as a first year law student. And my daughter's a junior and my youngest is a freshman this year. And we're just, um, so it's a new world for me, a little quieter at my house than it's ever been, which I miss the noise and the bustle, but so thankful that they are all thriving in their respective relationships and where they are. Gave them a, a great foundation. And now you, my ears perked up when you were talking about STEM and your student wanting to continue to hang on to that, the liberal arts piece of it too, and to hear him articulate why I think that's really inspiring. And the idea that studying STEM, you can can also keep the liberal arts piece very much as a part of it. And it is challenging to find where yeah. to do that. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think it's so important with STEM careers, especially just because we can do something, should we do it? And, you know, we're seeing that a lot with um, with AI and computer science and cybersecurity. This area is rife with ethical concerns. And we need, you know, as Christians, we really need to be at the forefront of this because the worldview is really going to determine which direction we take with it. And so I think Christians really need to be in there uh, on the front lines of this and determining the direction that it's going to take because it's going to shift our, our culture significantly. So I really appreciate the ethics and the philosophy and, and the truth background that we must come from, like there, there is a worldview that we must pursue and hold to, even when we're doing these really cutting edge technology things, that's where we really need to be having those discussions. And so, um, you know, I just, I appreciate colleges that are gonna marry those two subjects together in really impactful ways. 
It is really beautiful. I ended up having to pick two different colleges to uh, get mine melded together. I did the liberal arts first and then engineering school after that. But, uh, but that's wonderful if you can get them both together, even though it's probably harder to find. Was that difficult for you, Stephen, to shift from the liberal arts studies back to, well, not back to, but to shift into the engineering studies after you'd completed the, your course of liberal arts study, your undergraduate? Yeah, I think it can be challenging because um, I did it in the proper order, which is nice. So I got my good <laughs> liberal arts foundation first. And, and then to a certain extent, you know, I was also married and thinking about getting a job and working at the same time. So I guess my, my free time wasn't as, as, as ready, but it wasn't the same profound sort of thing. So it was difficult and, and, and such, but it wasn't thinking about those big, those big ideas and, and the, I think the more important ideas. So, so maybe not quite as rewarding all the time in the immediate work as, you know, jumping into St. Thomas or, or Aristotle or, reading Newton and Galileo or whatever, but uh, interesting though. But doable. Doable. Okay, doable. good. And Kimberly, how about your work with CLT? How did that come to be? And in, in what ways do you serve CLT and those who come in contact with the company? Yeah, so in 2016, my oldest son, I saw an ad for CLT and I can't even remember now where I saw that ad, but I saw an ad for CLT and I knew that this was was going to be a great fit for our oldest son. And so um, it was actually offered at that time, you know, you had to go to a test location and test. And we had a place not too far from us, 20, 25 minutes from our house, there was a test location. And he had taken the ACT, which we don't like to talk about too much. But you know, he had taken that other test. <laughs> and he had done really, really well on it. And he said, I will never take it again. And I said, but you're doing so well. <laughs> he said, I don't care. It's miserable. And this is my really, like, this is the guy who loved testing, right? Like he would take practice tests for fun on some, like when he was doing LSAT prep, he did like 34 practice LSATs. He was like, this is a great test. You know, I love it. Like, this is, this is, this is fun. It's puzzle solving. <laughs> so he just absolutely refused to take the ACT again. And so I said, okay, here's this new test. What do you think about this? And he said, I'll take it. So I signed him up and I took him. He was like, he came out after, you know, just a little over two hours. Like, that was a great test. That was actually fun. I would do that one again. And so he did. He ended up taking it several times, um, partly because he just did it. And it was a new test. So I started sharing about it, you know, far and wide. Anybody that would listen, I'm like, y'all need to take this test. You know, this is, this is the one I would call colleges and I would say, hey, you all should consider using this test as a better measure of what, you know, what you want students to pursue and what they're going to be asked to read when they get on campus. You should use this test. So eventually, I think because I had had some contact with Jeremy, uh, my oldest son scored very well on CLT. And so he had called to ask, like, what are y'all doing in homeschooling? And yeah. what does this look like for you guys? This CLT was very new. Um, so we had had some conversations then. So as I started looking at my kids were graduating, I'm kind of wrapping up my years as a homeschool mom. My youngest was doing a good bit of dual enrollment his last couple of years. And so my demand was not as high. 
And I contacted Jeremy and I said, do you ever hire homeschool moms to work remotely? (laughs) (laughs) It was kind of one of those things of, well, he'd already had several conversations with me. And um, so I ended up doing a little bit of part-time contract work for CLT. And I was a pretty effective advocate, had been advocating for them for a long time. So as such, it it just kept developing until I came on full time at CLT. Part of it was the timing with us going to remote proctoring right as 2020 hit and, you know, COVID shut down all of testing and CLT just exploded in growth because we had so many more people testing and we got a lot of national attention during 2020. So that really helped. And I was able to step into some roles there because I'd already been a great advocate for CLT for a long time. Um, So I have worked in several different areas of CLT, just filling in wherever was needed, eventually managed customer service, test day support and accommodations. And um, then last spring came full-time into the director of homeschool partnerships role. So currently I work with a lot of homeschool organizations, co-ops, or just families that are interested in how they can promote CLT, how they can partner together, you know, just trying to get broader knowledge out there that there is a test that is a better fit for homeschoolers, that there is a way to connect with really great quality organizations uh, and colleges and universities, and just trying to expand awareness of CLT and And also communicate to families how they can better use this to really help them get to colleges of their choice more affordably. Okay, wow. So in episode 59, The Secret Whiteboard, we asked Everett Bayarski and Erica Treat from Colby's Academic Services Department to come visit with us about the big decisions that need to be made when the Colby years end, a process which starts well before senior year. They brought up the big picture sorts of stuff as well as what to be thinking about and doing if a student discerns that college is the next step. For students planning to go to college, Kimberly has a lot to offer in the way of advice, experience, and resources. So let's start from a wide angle and zoom in from there. Uh, Kimberly, when do you advise families to begin prepping for college, and how do you suggest they go about that? Sure. Well, I think, at least in my experience, we set forth for our kids an academic plan that we thought would prepare them well for life. And we wanted to make sure that whatever path they chose, they would be prepared for it. So for us, that meant, okay, well, let's go ahead and do full on college prep. Um, Because even my daughter and I have these conversations a lot of times because there was a time when she didn't think she would go to college. And she said, why do I have to study this level of science or why do I have to do this? And I would say, do you want to homeschool your own children? And she said, yes. And I said, well, that's why. (laughs) Okay. So. We did a lot of, you're going to be prepared for whatever is to come and lots of time to explore passions and interests and homeschooling is never a one size fits all, right? Like I said, we use different approaches with three different kids because they were different learners. So I think that we can tailor an education to meet their needs, but it's really hard if you're thinking you're not going to pursue college all through high school, right? And you get to junior or senior year, and then you shift into thinking maybe we should have prepared for college. It can be really hard to get those uh, those academics in that you really need to do to set your student up for success and to even qualify them for scholarships. So at least in 
in our experience, what worked better for us was preparing all along as though we were going to pursue college and then giving children the opportunities to choose other routes as they, you know, as they got to that point. Um, but I didn't want to in any way um, make them ineligible for, for a path that they chose. So we went ahead and pursued the full academics that we would have for any, you know, for college prep. So I really talk to families a lot that you can ease your stress level if you approach this from the very beginning of high school or even starting in late middle school, if you are setting your students up for success academically for a college path, they're going to be set for any path that they choose then. Um, because by doing a college preparatory path, we are not discounting time for them to pursue their passions, right? They, they still get to do all those things that they really want to pursue. They can still do trade education and apprenticeships and all that. You're just squeezing things into maybe a little different time of day. Um, so for us, we wanted to make sure that that was set from the very beginning. And with that, I think then they have the freedom to choose whatever they want to. I really like that. I mean, keeping them prepared, but also to it just make me think of one of the benefits of homeschooling is you do have the the opportunity to to experiment with interests in a way that you don't necessarily have because of just the time the time drain that is a brick and mortar school. I mean, you just it takes so much more time. But yeah, it seems like in our family at least those conversations are happening definitely junior high at the latest, even though they might not end up in the same path that they thought, but we're able to kind of say, oh, you're interested in this. Let's go explore that a little bit. Um, and then they'll be, well, maybe that's not what I'm interested in. So that's an extra homeschool benefit there, I think. Absolutely. And, you know, we saw that with our daughter because she didn't decide until her junior year that she did want to pursue college. If we had waited until junior year to really make sure that she had met uh, requirements and things, I think we would have had a very, very stressful last two years. And then, of course, COVID hit during her senior year in high school, which shut down a lot of opportunities. Um, so thankfully, we were already on this path to having met a lot of requirements just because we had, you know, we had kind of set that um, standard from the beginning. I know that that Colby's uh, diploma programs for for families who enroll their students in in the Colby programs, there are two diploma programs. One of them is college prep oriented, so that students are take the the courses that are going to set them up well to go on to college. If that is to keep that door open, for, which is an expression I like to use a lot, to the exasperation of my children, I think, <laughs> but I'll use it here. Um, so yeah, so there's that. And then there's other options for those who, who have already decided in a way that that's not the route they want to go. So in addition to these college prep courses, are there other considerations about maybe schools that are on the family's radar screen or courses of study that you like, do you like to point out to people to help them as they're getting their wits about them and, and working on this from the beginning of, of high school? Yeah, I think that there are, there are a few different things that you can do. Um, I do think that it's important to start exploring colleges fairly early if you can. You know, ninth and 10th grade is a great time to be looking at different colleges and what might be a good fit for your student. Uh, and I say that because every college has a little 
different requirement set, right? So we can say that, oh, we're on this college prep track and, and that is fulfilling what the majority of colleges are looking for. But we found that there were some colleges that said, well, you really need a third year of the same foreign language, you know? So most of them needed two years of one foreign language, but this third year, we wanted to make sure that we had met that because that was on the radar. Um, so there were a few things that were different. We also found some differences between what they would accept as far as dual credit courses versus AP courses versus CLEP, you know, all of those options. It's really helpful if we already have a list of like, this is a potential list of colleges, because then we could uh, do more planning for those last couple of years of high school, especially. But if you don't start looking until the last couple of years of high school, it can be really hard to make those decisions during your junior year if you don't really know what, what you're pursuing. So we started kind of collecting, you know, these are, these are some colleges that would be of interest. And okay, my husband and I, I will tell you, we are big time um, analytical people. Okay, so I know that this is <laughs> probably not the norm for everyone. But we kind of love spreadsheets. And so we put together, you know, spreadsheets of, well, here's this college, and here's their cost of attendance, and here are their requirements. And these are the scholarships that they offer. And so there's a potential for this competitive scholarship, bringing the cost down to this before any financial aid. And so we started like along with the kids looking at all these different colleges and universities that we thought would be a good fit. Right. And we just put together spreadsheets and there were some that we eliminated saying, you know what, they don't offer very much in merit aid or as the kids got further along and they said, this is what we want to major in, or we think we're going in this general direction, right? It's STEM or it's humanities or it's, you know, we want to do law school. And so what's the law school placement rate, that kind of thing. We could then eliminate from there a little further based on their interest. And so for us, you know, it looks like a spreadsheet for us because we're just those kind of people. But, you know, for others, it, it may look a little different, but do some virtual visits, you know, explore websites, look at things, start to see what are the requirements and make sure that your student is going to be set up to meet those requirements. I do like that as far as planning, too. And it reminds me of like my daughter knew where she was going to go fairly early on we liked the choice but it actually meant that like even when we're picking courses as far as um senior junior and senior you're thinking okay well she's going to a great books program we're going to be reading all these things we don't really have to delve as much right now into you know trying to pick up a philosophy class or something like that that you might she might be have been interested in because she's going to have four years of of that sort of thing but yeah, if, if you were doing STEM, then that's definitely the time to investigate those dual credit courses so you can hit the ground running rather than spending five and a half years in an engineering program or whatever it takes most people coming in as freshmen to do. So that's that's helpful. It was also really helpful. Um, two of the colleges where my kids ended up were very, very selective about what credits they would transfer in. And so it helped us because we knew that those were on the radar. We could really tease through that list and say, this is what they will accept and this is what they won't accept. And we found what was the most selective with transfer credits. 
And we said, all right, well, this is what we're going to aim for, because if we go with the most selective, we know that the other colleges that are on the list will accept this, you know, if this really selective college does. And so that was what that was very helpful for us. We didn't waste a lot of money and time doing classes that would not then transfer to that more selective school. And, you know, and we wanted to make sure that our kids had a really um, a good understanding of what they were getting into. And, and so doing dual enrollment at the College of Choice was a really good fit, especially for my youngest, because he got to experience the professors that they have on campus teaching through their online dual enrollment. He understood the rigor. He understood the, the type of discussions, the quality of the teaching. Um, so having that laid out a little early Really, the summer before his junior year, he started dual enrollment with that college, and that made a huge difference for him. And then we knew everything would transfer because it was done with their program. Those are the sorts of tricky spots that I have encountered as I've sort of gone looking a little bit like, well, that one might not transfer and they might have to repeat that course and that sort of thing. And I know we want to talk in, in more depth about dual enrollment but I really like this uh, record keeping suggestion that you have given to us here. I was gonna ask you how to how to get this all organized and and uh, make it work for us well. And I think that's a fantastic idea because you can share the spreadsheets and keep updating them as you go along and yes. Before we talk about dual enrollment, can we talk a little bit about testing though? The late middle school, high school years of testing, CLT offers several tests for students of this age. So let's let's talk a bit about that whole area and things to think about there. Sure. Yeah, test optional has changed things a lot. And I've heard a lot of folks um, talking about, well, we don't need to prepare our kids anymore for testing because test optional is here to stay. Um, I think that there are some pitfalls to that that people need to be aware of. One is that standardized testing in general is not going away. Um, I think you mentioned at the beginning, I'm an occupational therapist by trade. That was my, my path in college and how I worked for a number of years until I stayed home full time to homeschool. And as an occupational therapist, I had to pass a day long certification exam, get one chance. It was offered one time a year. And, you know, and whether you passed or not depended on whether or not you worked that year as a therapist. So after graduation, I had to pass this really, really stressful high stakes test. Yes. You know, we still have college entrance exams that are often determining scholarship amounts. They're verifying your, your GPA, especially as homeschoolers. A lot of times, you know, there's maybe that comes a little more into question. Um, there, you know, there are various programs that you may not qualify for all the way unless you have a test score. But talking to families that are pursuing military, there's an ASVAB that they're going to take. And, you know, that may determine how many options they have with enlisting in the military, even is how they perform on that ASVAB. Um, if you are going into trades, almost all trades have some sort of certification exam at the end to get your license. And so, I encourage families, like, don't be afraid of standardized testing because preparing your students to, to process things in a shorter time span and be able to select multiple choice is a skill that, that we should at least develop because it is a life skill that is needed in many, many areas. 
And so I know as homeschoolers, um, classical educators, especially, we do a lot of, they write, you know, we assess their writing, we discuss, we do things orally, we question and we check their understanding that way. Um, so we're assessing all the time, but a standardized assessment is a different tool and our students need to know how to manage that so that they don't have any doors closed. Um, so with that, I say, get your students familiar with standardized testing, set the tone that it is not something to fear, set the tone that it's okay, like this is a tool that we're going to use that will be beneficial in your life. And, and then use the analytics that you get back from that test to say, well, here's what we're doing really well, this is great. And here are the areas where maybe we need to tweak how we're approaching this because there are opportunities for growth. And so use it as a real tool in understanding what you can maximize before your student graduates high school. So CLT does offer three exams currently. We have the CLT 8 for seventh and eighth graders, the CLT 10 for ninth and 10th graders, and the CLT, the official college entrance exam for 11th and 12th graders. Um, the nice thing about that is the format and the function is almost identical across all three exams. If they know how to take a CLT-8, the CLT-10 is going to be a walk in the park. They're going to transition to the CLT after that with no, no hiccups whatsoever. And, you know, it just increases in difficulty a little bit. But they're all about two hours long. They're taken online and at home. So it's convenient. It usually puts homeschoolers at ease because they're used to being at home and doing their work. This is a good environment. They're not going into an environment where they're sitting in a room with 25 to 30 other people in a desk and they're having to listen to other people's pencil scratches and you know moving around in their desk and having those distractions. You know, they are in a familiar environment that can be distraction free. The other thing about CLT is that we offer flexible test scheduling so that you can take it at time of day that best suits your student. Not everybody tests best at 8 a.m. in the morning. You know, that's a lot of our students. That is probably not their time of day. Well, if 1 p.m. is your best time of day. That's when you can take the CLT. So, you know, I just encourage families. This is a really great fit for homeschoolers. And it's a gentler introduction to standardized testing, but it also puts your students in front of great content that it, it's not taking away from their education. It's something that will contribute to their education. They're still reading great primary sources. There's stuff here that really should make them think it is something beautiful and rich and meaningful as they read and engage with these. But furthermore, we do test logic and critical thinking, which is where a lot of homeschool families really stand out that, you know, they do have this logic and critical thinking that is rewarded on the exam. And so students often find that they do a little better on the CLT than they would do on a comparable exam. And so use the test throughout, you know, middle school and high school to familiarize your students with testing, reduce their test anxiety because it's a, it's a common thing that they're accustomed to. And furthermore, they're, they're really getting that feedback that helps you understand how they can improve as learners and what you need to tweak in their education to really maximize that over those years that they're still at home.
it's nice to be utilizing a test where you don't have to try to figure out now what do the test creators think and what how do they want me to respond but more just yeah. let's think about what the true answer is to the question that's that's very wonderful that that would throw some of my children off some of them were better at trying to get into the heads of the you know the those test makers but but it's nice not to have to make that extra step when you're being tested yeah my oldest son did some ap exams and it was stressful for him um, just because it was that, like he knew what they wanted as answers. And in many, in many ways, it flew against what he believed. Um, and so he was very torn. Do I say what I really believe, what I think and support it? Or do I tell them what they want to hear? Because I'm afraid if I don't, I won't get the score that I need to receive credit for this. So after watching his agony with some of the worldview things that he encountered on AP exams, we opted not to do that with our other kids. Um, it was a lot of stress to have, you know, one test that determined credit. But beyond that, it was just this, um, it was a rife with worldview concerns. And, you know, it, it didn't feel like he was really expressing what he knew, but instead he was trying to game what people wanted to hear. And I'm sure some are not as bad as others. Like he didn't take the calculus test. He was doing a lot of um, history and economics and things like that. So I think those are a little different than maybe taking calculus or Latin or, you know, or something along those lines. But for him, it was like, okay, well, this is, this just wasn't a great experience. We're not going to pursue this with our others. But um, you know, that, that's how it is with multiple children. The first ones are often the victims of our experimentation. That is a common theme here. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think with the, the opportunities to take the tests in a familiar environment, that gives them the opportunity to also recognize that, hey, I can do this. I, once they, whether they're anxious about it or not, especially if they are, and they get through it and it goes goes relatively well, however it goes, at least they, they have that experience and that they can draw from. Like, I that was challenging and I was anxious about it, but I was able to do it anyway and I can do it again when I need to, yeah. Yeah, and one thing that I do want to say um, for parents in preparing their students to take the exams is, one, let them know that this doesn't define who they are or how successful they're going to be. You know, this is just one of the other things that we do in homeschooling. But particularly with CLT exams, the, the exams are designed to be more difficult. They're designed to show a broader range so that those kids who are super high performers, they can still get meaningful feedback about what they can improve upon. Uh, I think in the history of CLT, we've had one perfect score on an exam. You know, it's, it is not meant for, oh, I'm a great student, so I'm going to get every answer right. That is not the way that the tests are designed and written. So start talking to your students about the fact that it's okay. You may come to a question that you don't know how to answer. That's to be expected. You make a guess or, you know, we can talk about test taking strategies and you know how they're going to handle that. But if you talk to your kids and you prepare them in advance for that, I think it can really help mitigate that the anxiety factor for them. But do, if you're going to have your kids take a CLT exam of any sort, let them know they shouldn't expect to know every answer to every question. This is not something that you've studied for for a few weeks because it's the, you know, a unit exam at the end of a, a course. 
And, you know, I, I can memorize all the formulas and do all the work and I know how to answer it. Like this is designed to really have that room to show where you can still grow. So you shouldn't know every answer. It's like, that's really good advice for our, our homeschooling parents as well, just to kind of, yes. you know, to say, okay, both to temper what they might expect with their results from their A++ children that they have, but but also just to take the pressure off because I know kind of as a parent, you, for whatever reason, you do kind of rejoice and say, all right, they aced that test or they got a great score on that test. But then that reaction, if the next child doesn't get that great result, it's, it's set, telling them that, yeah, you say this is okay, but you got really excited when so-and-so did well and, yeah. So it does mean something you're just so it seems like it's important for us as parents to both keep the difficulty of the test in mind but also to to likewise not not put too much weight on it as far as our success as parents or the success of the children as well it seems like it seems important absolutely i think as homeschool parents we very much um you know, I think we try and deal with the anxiety, but there's always that fear lingering of, did I do enough for my kids? Did I prepare them? It's a heavy weight to, to educate your own children and to know that, you know, their, their preparation for the world is dependent on you, not on a whole team of people perhaps, or, you know, and I think always parents are ultimately responsible for their their students and where they, you know, how successful they are, their own education. But when you are the primary instructor too, that, that is a heavier weight. So, yeah, I think a lot of times we get really hung up on test results of like, this is showing how I performed, not just how my student performed. So you gotta, you gotta kind of downplay that a little bit, make sure that, that you don't have too much writing on this. I think that there's a good bit of research out there that shows that, yeah, tests are great at predicting a few things, right? They can tell you whether you're ready for that college class, if you're ready for that level of math or, you know, whatever that is. They can tell you if if you are going to uh, be ready for the type of work that you're going to encounter. But what they don't do is say how ultimately successful and productive you are in life. And that is something really important. It's more about a student's character, their perseverance, their, their work ethic, um, just their drive in general. Those things are far more predictive of how they will turn out in life, you know, than, than a test score. So always important to keep those things in mind. Very true. Well said. I, I would echo so much of, of what y'all have said. I, I would take the time to do that. I just... But y'all said yes, yes to all that. Okay, so let's talk for a bit. We it's come up a few times along the way, and I wanted to turn our attention now to the idea of dual enrollment. That being, um, high school students taking college courses while they're still in high school. What are some things to consider there, Kimberly? Yes, I think that dual credit is a great opportunity, um, but I think that there are some things that parents need to be aware of before they send their kids off to do dual credit. First of all, realize that, um, that your student needs to be ready, right? There are several different readiness factors. One is academically, are they ready to engage with college level curriculum? Do they know how to write effectively? Can they communicate? 
um, their ideas in that way? Are they, um, are, you know, are they ready to take on the responsibility and the workload? Remember that college courses are going to cram basically a year's worth of learning at high school, what would be a, a year long high school course into a semester? Are they ready to do that level of work? But socially, your students are very likely going to be in classes or at least on online forums with students who are adults. And, you know, are they ready to, to engage with them on that level? Are they ready to accept and filter through and discern when given that level of interaction, right? They may be in there. I mean, my kids did some classes with adults that had gone to work and then they were going back to school. There were different levels of maturity. So if your student is really um, struggling socially with dealing with more mature themes and concepts, that should be a consideration of, is your student really ready to engage socially with, um, with more mature adults? Uh, and not necessarily more mature. <laughs> Maybe that's a misnomer because uh, they also encountered a number of students who were not very mature, but were technically adults. And, you know, that brings in a whole new set of issues. But they also will need to be ready for the content. So I think there's a couple of different considerations here. One is if you are looking at going to a secular school in particular, are they ready to um, to possibly have their faith attacked, you know, are they ready to stand up? Are they ready to to engage with some very different ideas? Um, we chose a community college for our daughter, thinking that she was doing two classes that were not, not worldview focused at all. Right? It was a math class and it was a Spanish class, and we thought, well, this will be great. The Spanish class was a real struggle for her. And she was not sheltered in any way. She was working at a major coffee chain. So she had a lot of interaction with people that, you know, that wasn't a concern, but just navigating how to deal with this professor who had uh, very strong beliefs and communicated them vehemently Mm -hmm. um, about everything political and what was going on in the world. And that was, you know, that was, kind of eye-opening for her that, hey, we're not actually doing Spanish. We're we're just talking about the world and politics. And so, you know, even in what we thought we were choosing as some pretty safe classes, we didn't do history, literature, economics. You know, we were, we were choosing some classes that we thought were going to be safe from those concepts. Um, it was a real challenge. And my daughter, you know, she did fine in the class, but it was stressful for her. It was very stressful for her to be in that environment and try and decide when she should speak and when she should be quiet. And um, that was that was something that we had not anticipated happening. The other piece of that is if they are going to a faith-based institution, maybe they're not getting as much of you know that kind of vitriol toward faith, but they may still interact with students that are really questioning, right? These are older students, even the online um, courses that my kids did, there were forums where they had to post all the time and they were discussing some pretty challenging ideas. So glad that we were here to kind of talk through some of those things, but your students just need to be ready to think about the bigger ideas, to interact with those and make sure that they're ready for that before you enroll them. Um, Finally, 
I think that one piece that I have often heard from college professors is that students who are not really ready to advocate for themselves and communicate independently with a college professor should not be doing dual enrollment. So if your student needs you to send emails for them, if your student doesn't track their emails and their responsibilities independently, you need to develop those skills before you send them to a college class. The college professor does not expect to deal with mom and dad. You know, mom and dad's role should be to talk to the kid and remind them at that point, like, you're going to miss class. Did you communicate that? But they should be the only one doing the communication. Unless something really bizarre and um, and transformative happens or whatever that, that you need to intervene. But if it's about assignments, class, you know, notes, clarifying anything, that all needs to be the student doing that. So make sure that your student is ready for that and can handle that kind of advocacy and communication before they step into a dual credit situation. Then again, you have to consider, will the classes be accepted at a future college? So just do a little bit of research on that. And then the other thing that I tell people to do is it's become very popular to get this associate's degree or do a lot of classes before you graduate high school. But you need to be aware that skipping classes because you've you know, done them in high school means that you're not doing those on the college campus. So there are factors to consider regarding that. One is, are you going to put your student in a situation where they're a freshman but they're doing all junior level classes and it's a little harder for them to connect socially on their campus when they do get there because all of their people that they should have more in common with that they may be living with are not in any of their classes. Is your student ready to jump into upper division classes right off the bat when they step foot on campus? Some kids, super academic won't be an issue at all, but for others, it is a real challenge. There's a big difference sometimes between 200 level and 300 level courses in college. Are they ready to make that jump? And then I would say also, are you, if you're, especially if you're looking at a liberal arts school, right? If you are trying to get out of the first two years of classes by getting that associate's degree, are you really missing what is the benefit and the beauty of a liberal arts education? Because that's where you live among the students that are in those classes. So as you're discussing art and history and literature and science and all these things, if you continue those conversations when you go to eat lunch, when you go back to the dorm, you know, a lot of times those, those conversations are continuing. If you look at like John Henry Newman and the idea of a university, he really talks about this, this, shaping that takes place because of the peers that you are surrounded with. So if you're doing a lot of dual enrollment in high school and you're missing out on those first two years of classes, are you really missing out on the beauty of that liberal arts education that is so powerful in shaping who they will become? So there, you know, I think it's something to consider. I'm not saying don't do it. There's no circumstance under which I would do it. I'm saying that it's something to be aware of. And uh, especially with those liberal arts colleges, you know, we have, we intentionally avoided the, the classes where there would be a lot more robust discussion and made sure that the kids got those on campus. I love all of these points because I just, 
I mean, of course, I should be aware of them, but I don't always lay it out like that because sometimes you just think, oh, cheap local community college courses. Yes, let's do that. Mm -hmm. But especially with your last point, it's just like I wouldn't have I wouldn't have met my wife. And I mean, because our friendship developed over getting out of those liberal arts courses and and starting to talk about them and then spending hours talking about them and wherever the conversations. And if I jumped into junior year in a place like that, it's that just would have been completely missing from from that point but that would be sad for me <laughs> it's not too easy to get some tunnel vision like just think about oh they finished whatever level of math so let's have them take this next math or physics for example if they if we have a stem kid who's heading in an engineering direction they need to you know they've done all that on the high school level and maybe the next step would be dual enrollment but if they're not quite certain where they're headed for college then will that credit transfer should they be taking that course at the school where they're earning their degree so that they are sort of in the whole um, milieu? They get that as part of their of their course of study there. They all of those sort of things. So it's easy to think, well, that's that's the next thing to do. But and we lose out on all the other benefits that come from having that experience at that time in their stage of development, et cetera, et cetera. Even if it might save some money or be keep them on track academically or whatever, there are all these other factors to consider. It's so easy to lose track of those. Yeah. And you brought up a point with like a STEM major and taking some of those science courses on campus. One thing to be aware of um, that we ran into a lot with engineering and my son ended up in computer science, but engineering was on the, the radar, at least for a little while, is that especially with engineering programs, a lot of times you had to take all the math at that particular school. They wouldn't transfer math in for engineering programs or for math majors. So within certain majors, there may be further restrictions. So you may say, you know, X university will accept dual enrollment credits, but they won't take these classes for these majors. And so just make sure that you ask um, a few more questions about that. And it's not that 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 is lost, right? My son taking a, a dual enrollment calculus course, even if he has to repeat calculus, he's better prepared for that once he gets on campus. So it's not that it's a lost cause, but if you're counting on it as we know that it's only going to take two years to graduate or three years to graduate, you just need to know as you're planning that that may be shifted a little bit because not all majors will accept all courses. More and more I'm hearing, though, about how dual enrollment courses are a great alternative to AP courses. And speaking as a homeschooling parent who's, whose son has done a couple of AP courses, it's very challenging in our area in this, in this time that we are coming out of to find school sites that will allow homeschoolers to sit for the tests. So there's much value in taking the, the coursework in certain areas, going back to what you were mentioning about what type of course it is. But if, if they're looking for that, that test credit that might, that might, emphasis on the might, earn them some credit in college. That's not a guarantee that as homeschoolers, that's really challenging, personally speaking. So how about some of the areas in which um, these dual enrollment or dual credit courses can be alternatives to AP courses? Yeah, I think I mentioned earlier that, you know, we did that with our oldest son. He took some AP tests and, um, and it worked out for him, but it was very stressful. And, you know, and he felt like he was having to just really manipulate what he was writing and saying at times instead of speaking truth. 
And I think that after that, we just said, you know what, we're not going to go that route again. So dual credit became a much better option for us. And we really found that getting the experience with this is what the rigor is, you know, this is what the instruction looks like. It gave my kids, you know, a lot more preparation for what they were going to walk into on, in college rather than just the AP experience. Um, and, you know, and they got to learn to manage a syllabus, you know, let's read the syllabus, let's plan out things. There were some great, great things that came out of that. Um, I just, I want people to be aware that students really need to be ready um, one thing to keep in mind is that a lot of times as homeschoolers, we do a lot of grading for mastery. You know, we we teach our kids to mastery. I, I make kids just go back and correct things until they got it right because I wanted them to know it. Yeah. Um, I didn't always grade that way. Like their first chance was their grade. But a lot of homeschoolers, you know, take this approach that we're going to do it until they get it right, until they really know it. And so they have a 4.0. Um, but know that in doing a dual enrollment course, if your student is not really prepared for that academic workload, that grade is going to stick and it's going to show up on their transcript. And so you need to be aware that if they're really well prepared, it's a great opportunity. And I, I think it really set my kids up well for the future and for thriving on their college campus. But you, the grade is going to stick. And so you need to be aware that they have to be ready for it and they have to be able to communicate and advocate for themselves. Okay. Good deal. Well, Colby has a partnership with the University of St. Thomas in Houston. Um, we actually have a, a Colby cast episode with Dr. George Harn of that university. I'll link that in our show notes. It's not so much about dual enrollment, but it is an introduction to Dr. Harn and some aspects of the school. So there are there's a partnership that Colby has with that school through which Colby students can take some courses in, in an online format. Plenty of Colby families make use of local dual enrollment opportunities, uh, community college or universities local to them. So there, there are lots of options to accomplish that. I really like how you've laid out the things to think about with those in-person and online options. Kimberly, I, I will put some links in the show notes about Colby's partnership with the University of St. Thomas on the dual enrollment opportunities. I think there's a webinar that I can link for that and also some college planning webinars that have been done in the past. Well, are there other things that you wanted to talk about that we haven't, or things that have come to mind as we've been talking? I think one of the things to be aware of as um, homeschoolers is that deadlines often happen much earlier than you think. And so I never, yeah. <laughs> I never want to do one of these talks to, uh, to an audience without mentioning deadlines. Um, especially as your junior, as your student is a junior or a senior, make sure that you've got a calendar where you've listed out things. Um, we found that a bunch of the schools that my daughter applied to, she could apply during the summer before her senior year. So she got a lot of that work done, didn't have to interfere with her academic year, made for a much less stressful senior year for her. Um, that's and so it depends what the colleges are and what they have available but rolling admissions can be a lovely thing and you can get some of those things done in the summer but be aware of deadlines for scholarships a lot of the top scholarships if you're looking at um, a competitive scholarship competition a lot of those 
kick in and have deadlines maybe November 1st or um, December 1st at the latest I've seen. So make sure that you have your, take your CLT, get your test score done. Mm -hmm. um, make sure that you have everything kind of ready and in place at that point. And don't wait until, you know, it's October of senior year and you're like, ah, you know, how am I going to get this all done? Um, make sure that you know what the programs are out there and what those deadlines are, because even um, even if it's a rolling admissions and maybe you can apply later, you may miss out on the top scholarships. And so make sure that you keep a calendar with lots of deadlines and have your students check their email every day. Uh, it is really important. They're going to be getting a lot of contact with colleges and they'll let them know, hey, something is missing or we still need this or this new opportunity opened up. So make sure that your students are in the habit of checking their emails daily and make sure that you know what all the deadlines are. We really encourage our kids to handle all of this on their own, but we kept our own little uh, list of deadlines so that we could check in with them and just say, how are you coming on this that has this upcoming deadline in one week? You know, how is that essay looking? Are you ready for me to review it yet? Um, those kinds of conversations are really helpful. And just don't wait. I think that's that's the big message is don't wait. A lot of the opportunities are going to come early. Okay, that's so helpful. All of this has been so, so helpful to really get us thinking along these lines and get us organized. This has been great. I want to draw our listeners' attention to an episode of CLT's podcast, Anchored, in which Kimberly is featured. She's the guest who's talking to founder Jeremy Tate. So I'll link that episode in our show notes, along with the CLT website itself, and some other links, including the webinars I mentioned, and the some of the ColbyCast episodes I mentioned as well, number 59, The Secret Whiteboard. There's also one, number 40, Windshield Time with Dr. John Prudlow of the University of Tulsa. It has a lot of good information about visiting colleges and discussing those with your students as, you know, as you're driving down the highway or in other times as well. I also wanted to mention um, episode 83, This Is Only a Test, which we had a conversation with um, Stephen's wife, Maggie, and uh, John and Chris Bates from our Academic Services Department on standardized testing that Colby offers, and also similar things to what Kimberly was saying about the value of testing starting from an early age and, and moving on just to gain the familiarity, among other things, not just. Lots of good reasons. So I will link all those in our show notes. Um, and also check out, if you go to colby.org slash podcast, you can search through all the filters that we have on all the topics that we have discussed so far on the Colby cast. So anything I'm forgetting or any other resources you want to throw out there? Um, I just want to remind Colby families that there is a discount code specifically for Colby on CLT exams. So any CLT exam that you register for is 50% off using the code Colby50. So Colby50, and that's all caps, that will um, allow you to register making our tests very, very affordable. The CLT-8 would be just $17. The CLT-10 will be $22. And the CLT itself will be $27. And it's always unlimited score shares. So for those college entrance exams or the CLT-10, if you want to make early contact with colleges, it's a great way to do that. And there's no extra fee for doing that. So make sure that you jump in. We do have tests coming up in November for the CLT-8 and the CLT-10. So make sure that you check that out early and you know you get 50% off, which is a great deal. That is fantastic. Definitely, that's a great deal. Yes. 
Kimberly, what a pleasure it's been meeting you and conversing with you, working with you, preparing this episode. I'm, I'm thankful for the opportunity. Thank you for coming to visit with us and giving our families all this great information and, and so much help as they're headed toward life after Colby. Thanks so much, Kimberly. Thank you. It has been a joy for me to be here with you guys today. Subscribe to the Colby Cast on your favorite podcast app so that you don't miss an episode. And let us know how we're doing by leaving a rating or a review. And as always, feel free to email us at podcast at colby.org. Mary, our mother, pray for us. St. Maximilian Colby, pray for us. Ad maiorem Dei Gloriam.